Garomanga, Pagaranga Jagun, respect the Banjilang nation. Gaburungi and Nangalanga Jagun, the land, Nayabugayanga Bunjanga, of pretty flowers, Nayamburgayanga Banjilaga, and pretty butterflies, Nimburgayanga, Bugurgayanga, Jaramba Yawa, Nianga, and the healing colors of the rainbow. Respect the Banjilang nation. Welcome to the fourth of the Walkabout podcasts, produced while working in remote communities and high schools on Bundjalung country in the New South Wales far north coast. Alongside non-profit organisation Desert P Media and supported by the North Coast Primary Health Network, the usual process is to create a hip-hop track and music video based around and opening up conversations about mental health and well-being from the community's perspective. We did things a little differently this time. In this edition, we head to Weibo Country by Yugo a small Guri community located in Bunjalung country, about 75 kilometres northwest of Grafton, in far northern New South Wales, to meet the freshwater people who, at the time of our visit, had grave concerns for their rapidly disappearing river. The banks of the Clarence River were home to the Wedderbore people in the late 1890s, with a scattering of camps of both non-Aboriginal miners and Bunjalung people. Its population expanded dramatically in 1918 with the creation of Bayugal Square. This is where we met and learned about its people on the country they call home. Due to the evacuation of much of the area just before we were due to visit after bushfires swept dangerously close, only a handful of strong-willed community members remained or had returned. We soon discovered bushfires were only one of the pressing issues these people faced. Together, we created a short film, Garama, Respect. My role is to share with you the story of the people behind the lens, so that you may listen with new ears, greater awareness, and a sense of connection to the tiny community of Bayugal. So, are you ready to go walkabout? Bayugul was still smouldering from the bushfires when we arrived and the community had only just begun to return after evacuation. The school had just reopened with only a handful of kids in attendance and the whole place felt somewhat deserted. We gathered at the community centre close to Bayugul Square and soon discovered a strong female presence and the reason for it. Our community, Bayugul, small isolated, remote isolated community, there are more or less, all our elder men are gone. We don't have any really strong old male role models. It's more or less all women today. We have our three elders here, my mother, my two aunties, who were born here, lived here all their life, growing up with Nan and Pop. Our community, we had asbestos mine. We live in the, on the asbestos mine. That's why Bayugal, uh, no government body would touch us until we got our, um, the mine covered. I mean, that goes through a lot of work with Scott Monaghan with the Allowance Council, who stood up and formed our community as it is today. But as I said, asbestos was a major, a major thing here in Bayugal. And they worked here and then 
I suppose died off with the dust dust disease. And now, well, women are still standing here, I suppose, and still standing strong, even though they're old, bless them. They love their country. It's like the women, it's like we have to step up because there aren't any male, uh, male role models. I suppose we are strong Aboriginal women. You know, we're grounded, we're strong. Yeah, roots stuck into the ground, yeah, we're grounded. But yeah, and then just hopefully our, um, our younger generation who can see, see us, hope that they can continue our footsteps. These days, it's clear to see what those jobs took from the Bayugal community rather than gave to them. As yarns opened up, we discovered the most pressing issue, though, was not the problems of the past, but the immediate concerns the community faced with the loss of their abundant, deep-flowing river, their lifeblood and connection to country and culture. Harris, how old are you? Six. What do you think about when you look at the river? I see fish. What does it make you feel like you want to do when you see the river? Swim. Is there much water in there? No, not anymore. Want to swim. Does it make you want to swim looking at it now? No. How come? Because there's lots of weed and it's yucky. Why is it yucky? Because all the fires have come through. How has that made the river? All dirty and yuck. And so what do you do if you can't swim in the river? Find another place to go and a river. They are the freshwater people. They've built their lives and their community around the Clarence River and its ability to provide them with everything they need, from food to ancient traditions passed down through generations. How does a small remote community stand up to the big tankers draining their already low-flowing river? How do they raise awareness of the dry stream and creeks connected to it that they used to swim and play in? And how will the essence of their culture continue if the freshwater people have no fresh water? You know, we had the river. It was a very deep river, you know, deep. The water is taken from the river through tankers. I suppose with bushfires, but as us Aboriginal people are, if we'd have kept off our traditional burning, wouldn't have came to bushfires where the water would have been still here in the river, realistically. We need our people, we need Aboriginal people in these government agencies where we can access or they can be told, you know, sort of our cultural awareness too, I suppose too, you know what I mean? Looking after country. Bayugal community were happy to share their story with us, their fears and their future projections. And this podcast contains conversations with weeable elders, women, men and children, while they created a short film entitled Garama, Respect, alongside Desert P Media. Jingiwala, Nyanyari Lanik Shnagala Banjalang Janagan. Boo and Bwai Nyanyari Banjalang Jagan. What I just said is hello and welcome. My name is Lennox and it's good to see everyone on Banjalang country today. All across Willable country, parts of the land and areas of bush were still smouldering from fires that recently swept through and evacuated the small community of Bayugal. The sky was hazy with smoke, creating an eerie orange glow as the sun attempted to penetrate through the thick of it. It's something that I've never, ever, ever seen before. You know, we've done cultural burning here since when I can remember all the 
families would get out and burn off and things like that, but nothing like this. There's just nothing left. Um, the trees are just black. The leaves are just brown. There's nothing. And again, it just comes back to mismanagement of land. You know, we can't burn off in places that got fences around them anymore. The Bayougal community, however, were clear in what they had to say, and we soon understood their concerns about the loss of their mighty river, the heartbeat of the Weatherbull people and wildlife that they have shared it with for time immemorial. What are the long-term repercussions of their lost river? Our wildlife, our bush tucker, that's our bush tucker. We get our bush tucker from the river, which is our binging, our turtle, our silver perch, eel-tail catfish and mullet. Today they've introduced the cod, I suppose, brought the cod here and then they ate all our binging, our wildlife, our fish. We don't see anything. We don't know where the fish is. Where are our wildlife, our bush tucker's gone? Who knows, will they survive? Do we survive? Without water, we can't survive without water. The option to go hunting and there be an abundance of food is not really there anymore. I mean, animals have had to move to different places because there is no river here anymore. Um, you know, my son is getting of an age where he needs to learn to go for bingings and for the past two seasons, um, we haven't been able to do it here. So that means his grandfather can't come to the place where he learnt to get bingings in the same place that he'll teach his grandson. So it's not just a river running dry, it's completely changing the way our culture is taught at this, you know, in, at this point in time anyway. The loss is devastating and the community sat together in conversation and shared a word that was most poignant and important to them. What about elders? Again, it might mean respect, the tradition, the carry-on from our, um, our song lines, our history. Children, charge them. That's our future, our future generation. So I hope our children here listen and learn something today because you will be our future leaders and you will be standing here one day on the microphone just like us. Okay, Bukube. Family. Family is very, very important. Without family, we're just all alone. So family is the most important, I think, and respect comes into that. Connection to country, so all of those things we just talked about, family, respect, you know, acknowledgement, so that comes in with our elders and that's, you know, I think we've all grown up in our community and we want to, like Lynette said, pass that down to our kids because there's a different generation now that they've missed some of that. I want to talk about sharing. Sharing in the community is always a good thing. You know, if you want something at home, you can always borrow something from one of the mob in the square or whatever. Yeah, any community, um, you notice a lot of people drop one another out, especially the elders and all that. So we've got to pass that down to the young people, like young generation, and let them learn all that. And I think that's the important thing. We've got to go after one another. So if they can learn from the elders, that's the best thing that could ever happen. Caring. All of that. Our language. The language that our ancestors spoke, that's important. We've got to hold on to that and breathe it into our jarjums, shall we? We've still got a language people left. That's a beautiful thing about our land and our country, and it's something that we need to instill in our children today. Speak that language there of our ancestors, shall we? 
and that, that encompasses all the caring and the sharing and we embrace our knowledge of our ancestry and it strengthens strengthen our will to, to be strong. Language is a, is a good balance for us. Caring about our language. Oh, I've got to agree with my little cuz Bianca over there, family for me. One of the only things that keeps me motivated when I'm away working all the time. It's setting a good example and a strong foundation for these younger Jajams there. But yeah, family is important to me. My word today probably is our heart, caring for each other. I think an important word for us also is belonging. It doesn't matter how far we go or wherever we live, we still have a belonging back to our country, and that's um, Bayugal. People live in Sydney, but their home is still Bayugal. They might live in Kempsey, they might live in Armidale, they you know, might live just in Grafton, but uh, our, our home is Bayugal. So it's a belonging. Resilience, because that's what we are. Through it all, we're resilient. Bringing our culture together, remembering our language, learning our dance, coming together, sharing. For me, identity, the whole thing comes back to a strong sense of resilience. And we draw on the strength from our elders and try and pass that knowledge on to our young people. I'll say learning. Learning from each other, learning from whether you're black, white, yellow, whatever. You never stop learning, you never stop bouncing off these young ones or the elders, everything that is given to you is a learning process, whether it's slow, whether it's fast, it's all about taking on board what's thrown at you and growing as a person from those learning things that are given to you, whether it be culture, whether it be just life skills. Every day is a learning process as far as I'm concerned. We bounce off each other, whether we're cousins, whether we're sisters, brothers, mother, daughter, son, whatever. We learn as much as they learn from us. As I learned more about this resilient community, feeling and sharing their frustrations, witnessing the devastation, I felt the increasing need to do something about it. The gift of community radio is to offer up a platform on which to share the voices of the underrepresented, the minorities, the real folk who live in remote areas that nobody ever hears about. We had the opportunity to change that. Together we worked to record snippets and stories when and where we could amongst the smouldering embers and dry riverbeds, on logs beneath giants known to the Weatherbull people as their ancestors, beside dusty, dry riverbanks in the soaring heat of the day, so that you can hear what these people want to share with you about their lives, their community, and the day-to-day realities of life in Bayugal. Lynette Donnelly has worked with kids at the local school for the past decade, keeping culture alive in the young Jarjans of Bayugal. Here are her thoughts on the current situation and what that looks like for the next generation. I work at the Bayugal Public School. I'm the Aboriginal Education Officer. Been there over the past 10 years. We are now sitting under the pine trees up at the Washpool River. Water the Washpool comes from the Washpool State Forest, which eventually runs into the Clowns River. We are now sitting under our, you could say, ancestors, our tall trees, our pine trees that are here that were here for a long time. And they're still standing strong here. As a child, as a kid, when I came up here to the Washpool, it was much deeper. 
we were able to drive uh, right to the river bank, but today we cannot because the gates have been locked and it has been fenced off from the river. I grew up here, like I came out here on the river. I brought my children out here as well as my grandchildren. Today the river's dropped rapidly. It's hardly running anymore. It's just dormant. It's hard, it doesn't even run into the crowns anymore. We hardly come to the river anymore because we can't swim in it. There ain't any deep holes. It's not running. Us as Aboriginal people, I like to swim in fresh water too. We are freshwater people. The river has to be running. You know, otherwise it could be algae and all things floating on top. Yeah, we don't swim anymore here because it's too low. It's too low. Let's hear more from Bianca Monaghan, who has strong ties to the area. No one in her family has ever known the river to be this low. And as we sit on one of the dry riverbeds, I inquire as to the reason it's come to this. At the moment we are on the banks of the Clarence River, which has ran dry. It actually, the first time I've seen it dry, I've seen it going down and down and down for, for a fair while now, but now that it's actually stopped, it's actually pretty emotional to see and it, it actually physically hurts to see it stopped because that's a big thing, I've never seen that. And to hear like Nan say she's never seen that, you sort of know that it's a big deal. When it's flowing and it's big, it's like this is the heart of Bayugo. Everyone comes here, everyone meets here. And the first thing you sort of do is go to the square and see everyone say, yeah, I'll meet you at the river. And everyone swims and we all bring food or the boys go for bingings and things like that. It's, yeah, sort of the heart of the place, really. You know, we do have a drought happening at the moment, but I think the drought has been really mismanaged. Um, you see truck after truck come out of this place full of water. You know, you just can't do that, and obviously it didn't work because now it's dry. So, you know, I sort of think to the government, well, what's your, what's your plan B? You've emptied the river, now what? So, yeah, it's definitely mismanagement of not just the Clarence, but all of Australia's waterways, really. The impact of the water mismanagement and the corruption and the corporate greed and capitalism in this country has killed our rivers. How do we bring back the 50-year-old cods? How do we bring back the freshwater mussels? How do we bring back the aquatic life, the ecosystem and the animals that relied on the river and the water? They are now completely dead. They're extinct. This has happened over the last 100 years. Australia needs to wake up. There's two things that I can hear. It's water and profit. Why are we selling water to make profit? Why are our people are dying young? Why are our people are suffering? Because of the greed. The taking of our water. Where is our rights to water? First Nation rights to water. We have a right to fresh water. Put the water back in the river. Not just for us, but for the environment. Thank you very much, Bruce. That was a shortened version of a speech Bruce Shillingsworth, Murawari and Bujiti man, artist and Water for Rivers activist gave on an ABC Q&A in October of 2019. 
He spoke about poor mental health and suicide amongst First Nations people whose lives revolved around the rivers, or sadly, the lack of them. Bianca can relate to those feelings. I feel like there's just like a real heaviness at the moment in the community, you know. I think the river, it, it refreshes us, it cleanses us. And when we can't do that in the place that we call home, you just feel like a heaviness and kids ask questions, you know, well, how come it's ran dry and why can't I go for bingings there? And, and you know, they're really big, deep questions that you have to answer lightly so they don't, so they don't feel that heaviness as well. That's not for them to carry. You know, many years ago, our mob never had no mental health issues because they yarned. And they sat down with their elders and they talked and sat around and played cards and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we're with people all the, all the time. But now, if someone thinks differently or we want to lock them up in asylums or, you know, in psych wards. So we need to be doing things differently. The river has its stories, and those stories are what make up and live within the Bayugal community today. Our mob lived on the river. They lived on the mighty Clowns River. That was between the Yugobar Castle to the laundry. They lived near the pear tree. Our people lived there. They had a boat shed. My great-great-grandfather, they used to live down at the boat shed. My great-grandmother. They called it Granny Boat Shed. They used to row across the river with a boat. Today you can walk across the river because it's so dry, it's so low. The water's just gone. Stories are a way of passing down information and knowledge, just as you've learned about the history of the Clarence River through the words of Lynette Donnelly. Robert Monaghan, father of Bianca, knows the importance of such a tradition as a way of keeping culture alive. So I'm Robert Monaghan, a Bunjalung boy from Bayugal. Culturally and traditionally, I think storytelling has been part of the Aboriginal culture. Historically, we, you know, the Aboriginal culture is not a written culture, it's a, a spoken culture, so story is very important. It's evident today how story has a big impact in our communities. We need to do things differently in Aboriginal communities about listen to the stories and also about how things were created. And you can see just... You know, recently with the devastation we've had through the fires, stories would have been about how the Clarence River was formed and how we cared for the river. So we need that transition of that story to be passed on down through our generations, through our children and through our grandchildren, because if we don't transition into a storytelling society, things get lost. And I think we need to be able to, especially with our elders, sit down, have these yarning circles. It's not only for us. It's also for the wider community because this beautiful culture, Aboriginal culture, should be shared. And if we don't share it, we don't get an understanding from uh, the wider population. As the Aboriginal Education Officer at the local primary school, Lynette Donnelly's job is to keep culture alive. Let's find out how she does that. I pass on our, all our stories, our dream, my dream time story from my grandmother, Barbinge. Uh, Lucy Daly, Barbin, Nanya, grandmother mine. I've always told them that, that, that we are connected to the river. I do our welcome to country always with our Bunjilung. We teach Bunjilung language. I teach Bunjilung language at the school with our children, our kids. Our kids are um, 
connected to country, I suppose, our children grew, growing up out here. We grew up with the bush tucker names, you know, like the like the binging, turtle, buninj, porcupine or the echidna, ngamal, the koana, teaching them language, connecting to country, culture. We work with Bianca Monaghan as well, coming up with Grafton High School as well. So we're broadening our, our language and our cultural awareness, you know, our culture, I suppose, from little things, big things grow. What do you see their future being like here in Bayugal? My goodness, I just hope the river will be still around for them to continue their bush tucker, you know, seasonal hunting, connecting to country, not to leave our place, our country, you know, Ngalinajagan, our country, stay grounded. As long as we have water, I suppose, we just we need big rain. We need big rain. That's what we need. Rain is not the only thing they're hoping for. Small remote communities face a number of challenges that affect the well-being of its people. Robert Monaghan speaks to that and the barriers they create. So look, some of the challenges obviously is, is isolation. You know, we're um, 100 k's from a major hospital here. Very light on services that come out into this area. They are major challenges, but we also have lots of social challenges in our community as well. You know, we have uh, lots of drug and alcohol issues that aren't being addressed. But there's an underlying issue also within our community is about recognition and about the history of Australia that hasn't been addressed. So we need a lot of that addressing in our communities to have a full understanding about mental health and how's that impacting on, on our community. When we talk about mental health in sort of mainstream populations, that doesn't resonate with Aboriginal people. It's more about the holistic view of mental health, so it's social, emotional well-being. So we need to deal with lots of other things other than just what society says is mental health. So for Aboriginal people, it's the whole package, the holistic view on your life, not just mental health. So even out here at Bayuga, you know, there's lots of things that you could probably class, like isolation, um, restrictions from services that come out. Many years ago, we used to have a shop across here. We don't have any of that anymore. Even jobs, you know. If you take time away from people, they might have things to do. But out here, they've got more time to think about things. So maybe depression could set in. There's lots of challenges, lots of challenges. Understanding Aboriginal people, you have to have an in-depth knowledge about how Australia was founded and the plight of Aboriginal people for the last 240 years. I think that's the, that's the grounding. People, um, unfortunately, is not teaching cultural awareness, our history is not taught through our education department to a degree that it should be taught, where we have kids growing up now, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal society, that really don't know the history of Australia and how it was founded and the plight of you know, our elders, what they went through to get to where we are today. Australia's got a black secret and it's black people, you know, that, and that's, that's where it starts. Where do First Nations people go to seek help? Or if they don't, then is there a specific reason why not? Aboriginal Liaison Officer Carmel Monaghan and Robert Monaghan addressed the subject together. My name's Carmel Monaghan. I'm a Bundjalung woman. As me being in a role in health or as an Aboriginal Liaison Officer, I feel that our knowledge of what we've grown up with and what we've learnt can benefit the wider communities to work with Aboriginal people, you've got to give that connection. To access any health service, especially mental health, 
always ask for an Aboriginal health worker in whatever health facility you went to, or go to an Aboriginal medical service just for that extra support. Also, too, I think, you know, the system's set up for mainstream people. So we need to think about how do we do things differently for Aboriginal people, and, and this is a good example. Like Carmel said, you know, we've got Aboriginal staff in, in the system that work, but it's also about realising that you might have a problem and go and seek services. Because there are lots of services out there that are, you know, really culture appropriate and, and trying to do the best. You know the old saying, um, ask some people, are they okay? Tell someone. Don't be shamed. Don't yeah, be shamed if to something... reach out to somebody because, mm. you know, today with the suicide rates today in our younger mm. people, we want them to know that we're there for them. And I think, you know, mental health has got that stigma. It's always good to um, reach out, reach out to anyone and family mm. members. I just encourage any young people out there that's going through depression just to reach out to somebody. But we also, as a community, have a right, or not a right, but we have a responsibility to ask people, you know, sit down and have that yarn with them. We all just live in this bubble and we're, you know, concerned about ourselves, but we need to be able to, if we see someone struggling, give them a hand up. Bayugal has had its fair share of troubles. In the 1950s, it became a thriving Guri community when the local open-cut asbestos mine replaced its predominantly white workforce with the cheaper labour available through employing Bunjalung people and Guris from elsewhere in the state. The asbestos provided opportunities for work and instilled a sense of pride within the community, but it also became a ticking time bomb, which slowly began to claim a large number of Guri lives. All our elder men are gone. We don't have any really strong old male role models. It's more or less all women today. Our community, we had asbestos mines. We live in the, on the asbestos mine. That's why Bayugo, uh, no government body would touch us until we got the mine covered. I mean, that goes through a lot of work with Scott Monaghan with the Lounge Council, who stood up and formed our community as it is today. But as I said, Asbestos was a major, a major thing here in Bayugo. And they worked here and then, I suppose, died off with the dust, dust disease. Mm -hmm. And our, our women are still standing here, I suppose, and still standing strong, even though they're old, bless them. They love their country. As women, it's like we have to step up because there aren't any male, male role models. More stronger with the women, and we are, I suppose, we are strong Aboriginal women. You know, we're grounded, we're strong. Yeah, roots stuck into the ground, here we're grounded. But yeah, and then just hopefully our, um, our younger generation who can see, see us, hope that they can continue our footsteps. These days, it's clear to see what the asbestos mine took from the community. Without older men as role models for the young boys growing up, is there a missing link that these strong women just can't bridge? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I suppose I could say that. I could say, yeah, because you look at it now, like, there's a lot of, like, I suppose it could be mental issues and a lot of things going on with our younger men, and they need a lot of the old, older men to talk to, you know what I mean? Some men find it hard to speak with women, but us as women, we try and talk to them too, try and break that barrier as well for them to open up and have a yarn with us as well, you know what I mean? As we, well, we have to, as women, to keep our people, our con 
connection or keep us all together, you know what I mean? Mm. Keep us healthy, keep us strong, you know, keep us grounded. Janali Doncaster is a mentor and songwriter with Desert P Media, as well as being a member of the Australian four-piece hip-hop clique of creatives, Indigenoise. They all carry mixed ancestry and alchemize a powerful voice of ancient and contemporary culture. He shared a brief summary with the Bayugal community of his own experience growing up before discovering his true cultural identity in an age where many linger between two worlds, that of the mainstream culture and that which has passed down through generations. He speaks after an introduction from a wise uncle on this very subject. You gotta know who you are and where you're from and where you belong. Our mob, our fair-skinned blackfellas, they got the hardest, hardest fight of the lot of us. They got to prove themselves who they are in our own mob, as well as the mainstream mobs. It's what's in here, and what you feel. Now I tell them, so who's the most dangerous black fella in Australia? And they say, ooh. I said, an educated one. I said, don't care what colour you are, you're still who you are, and you're still a belonging to country. And the knowledge we carry, it makes us strong. It's very easy to find. Just go for a walk through the bush. The culture will find you. Find you. I went in and out of the system, trying to find that place, trying to find what I can connect to, and that's that identity, that's that dance, that's that song. You aware? So it took me years and years going in and out of depression, mental illness, whatever they wanted to call it. That's a label them white followers gave me. What it was was me being pulled away from my song, and the further and further I got away from that song was the more trouble the system would put me in. I was putting myself there, but without that acknowledgement. So I think being able to acknowledge that sickness comes from being off country or not connecting to your culture. So that's, that, that's what creates sickness. And that's them old people pulling you back home, going, come now. And for the mob that don't have that, I didn't grow up with my mother, she's Yagul. Never grew up with mum, grew up with white father. And took me a long time to work out that. So for all the mob that maybe don't have that or never went through that, so I understand that just what that missing piece you're trying to find is, is that culture, that song you're dreaming. Actually, I've been working with DPM for about two years now, teaching mob and mentoring the kids and writing the music and songs with them and just holding space and letting them know that that culture's always there. It's whether you want to come and find it. And sometimes spirit, she'll... She'll put you through a lot of stuff, hard way, and push you away from that, but it's always there, that culture always there, the melder's always there, so it's always a good time to listen. Listening is the key to communication with elders, friends, family, or from spirit within. Listening to our fellow Australians' concerns and issues, both personal and environmental, and sharing them with a broader audience connects us directly to the source of these issues. The Bayugal community had a strong message to share and worked together with Desert P Media to ensure their message was loud and clear. Garama, respect. Our respect goes out to all that took part in this short film. Nalina Dragon, our country. Nalina Balan, 
our river. Like the blood that runs through our veins. We look after this country. Well, my name is Heather Monaghan. I come from Bayou. We used to live on the Clarence River near the pear tree from the laundry down to uh, the little cemetery near Brown's Cottage. But uh, they moved us out to the square, they gave us a square. Yeah, so our Bayou were Bundjalung Whirlable people. And yeah, my family's been here forever. We are a small, isolated, remote community, 83 kilometres northwest of Grafton. Jingiwala, Nyanjiri Lennox, Nyagal Banjong Janagon. Bugu and Bwai, Nyanyaribu, Banjong Jagon. What I just said is hello and welcome, my name is Lennox, and it's good to see everyone on this beautiful country today. That river is Ngalina Balan. Balan, Balan is river. Ngalina ours. That river that holds a lot of, uh, that's our bush tucker. That's our bush tucker, that river. Where's our, where's our bush tucker? Where's our wildlife now going because of the river? We are river people. We live off the river. Well, the river means everything to us. We're connected to other neighbouring tribes through our river. Um, and she's sort of like the heartbeat of our, of our people. We see our river going down. It's like a physical pain. You feel that. And what's happening with uh, Bunjalung country at the moment is really, really heartbreaking. It makes me feel terrible. I feel like I could cry. Never ever in my 47 years of living in this area have I ever seen a river like this. We've had bushfires and we've had floods, but nothing like what it is today. Back in our, you know, my grandfather's days and my grandmum's days, you know, they used to burn off. You know, they'd keep the country, you know, they'd regenerate. This is burning to devastation, you know, and this is mismanagement of land. The fire went through all the paddock and it makes me feel terrible to see the cattle dying and that's silly. Garama, respect. Respect for our country, respect for our river, respect for our elders, respect for our people, respect for each other. Respect, looking after our country. Nalina Jagan, our country. Respect, look after country, country looks after you. The best thing about this is the kids understand, you know, and it's not just Aboriginal kids, all kids understand that this is wrong. Whereas this next generation really know, no, I have a right, and that right to country is to look after it and they will fight for it. For our future generation, young Jajam, I would like you to stand tall, stand proud, be proud of who you are, where you come from, Look after our country, stand tall, fight for our country, fight for our river. 
It is, this river is going to come back. It's going to come back full force and it's going to come back with everything alive and, and we're all going to be a part of that. How does a river return to its former glory? Who has the authority to take action and make changes? Lynette has this to say. We need to all work together, us as Aboriginal peoples, all the 13 land councils here on the northern New South Wales. We need to get in and to put something on, on the river or something, something has to be done, like now. Otherwise we won't have anything. Won't have any river, won't have anything. Projects like these are far and few between, but the impact they have on the communities involved and the mainstream audience they reach is powerful. But how far have we come along the road of respect for our First Nations people? How far we've come, we, we are making inroads. And it was evident when we went to Yamba to do our, you know, national corroboree, you could count on the beach as many non-Aboriginal people as there was Aboriginal people. So to me, that's like, yeah, we've come a long way. You know, I think we've still got a long way to go, but I think there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I hope there is, you know, because I've got grandchildren, there's other people that have grandchildren that want to learn about history, they want to enjoy this beautiful culture that's, you know, 60,000 years plus. So we need to be doing it. Let's end with Auntie Lynette's thoughts on a project like this coming to the tiny community of Bayugal. I say it's a good thing for the kids. They're out there, never ever done this before with our children, but it's a great thing. We are a small community, but we do have a voice as well. So it's great. I see great things with this, with Desert P Media, as well as you, Rachel. Thank you for coming out and being with us and promoting us with Desert P and with our radio with you, Rachel, as well. Thank you, Pugu Beer. Huge thanks to the Bayugal community for sharing your words and your hearts with us. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Walkabout, but before we go, introducing Deaf Radio presenters. My name is Lennox James Monaghan, and I'm proud to be a member of the Monaghan family. What do you want to be when you grow up? A police officer. Why do you want to be a police officer? Because they're undercover and they sometimes get to go over the speed limit just to catch the bad guy. What's your favourite thing to do? Play handball. Why is that your favourite thing to do? Because it's really fun and you get to bounce balls and get to show off your moves. What's your name? Tashaya. What have you been doing today? Going to bike school and having some fun. What was the most fun thing you did today? Getting painted up and having a race. What did you get painted up for? Um, to get to see what type of black brothers we are. Tell us where we are now. We're in the long bridge of Baigo. Did you used to swim here? 
Yeah, but now that it's too low, we can't swim. That's why the problem is that people have to stop putting fires and the water's too low to swim. How does it make you feel that you can't swim here now? Um, it makes me sad and bored playing in the not good area, so that's why we're going to the other river. What do you like to do when you see your children? They make me happy. What kinds of things do you like in the bush? I like coming to the bush because it's quiet and there's lots of animals. If you'd like to hear more from the Walkabout series, head to the Walkabout Facebook page where you can find photos and videos, along with links to a collection of these podcasts by Chop Suey Roaming Radio on SoundCloud. To view this short film, Garama, Respect, and almost 20 years worth of work from Desert P Media, head along to desertpmedia.com. Walkabout was made possible with the assistance of the Community Broadcast Foundation, cbf.org. Thanks so much for listening and get ready for the next walkabout on Gujimbara Bunjalung Country, Fingal Head, Northern New South Wales. Until we meet again, Bugambe. Thanks for listening.